And no matter how much uh, effort we put in, they seem to never be uh, fully finished. Uh, and we see this most clearly in, in some of our household chores, right? No matter uh, how many loads of laundry you do, as soon as you, you change your clothes uh, and get ready for bed that night, what do you have? You have more dirty laundry. Uh, and uh, those dishes in the sink, they seem to multiply, Right, they seem to just spawn off additional dishes, uh, no matter what. Like I just, you can you can load the dishwasher at night, and then what happens in the morning? There's more dishes. So uh, household chores are are never ending. As long as we are eating, which I think we will want to do, and as long as we are clothing ourselves, which I'm pretty, also pretty sure we will want to do, there will always be laundry, and there will always be dirty dishes. Uh, and similar to that, along those lines, there, there's a, a spiritual discipline that no matter how much effort we put in, it seems like there's always more to do. Uh, there's always more, uh, that we, more time that we could spend on this discipline. And that, that discipline that we're going to look at this morning in Colossians 4 is prayer. Uh, that no matter, no matter how much we pray, no matter how much time we spend in, pray, uh, in prayer, uh, we can always come away with it thinking, there was so much more for me to pray about. There was so much more for me to lift up to God. Uh, and I don't think there's been anybody who said, yeah, I've done enough praying today. Usually uh, when, you, when you begin to pray, you realize how much more you should be praying. Uh, and there, there are always more praises to be offered. There are always more requests to be made, always more sin to be confessed, uh, always more sins and temptations to flee from, and always more strength to be uh, requested from from our Lord and our Savior. And sometimes we are aware of this, and sometimes we can be comfortable in in not praying. Uh, and the, the, the 19th century pastor Charles Spurgeon said said this about those who who feel comfortable not being in prayer. He says, "No man has such need to pray as the man who does not care to pray. When you can pray and long to pray, why then you will pray." But when you cannot pray and do not wish to pray, why then you must pray, or evil will come of it. He is on the brink of ruin who forgets the mercy seat. When the heart is apathetic towards prayer, the whole man is sickening from a grievous disease. How can we be weary of prayer? It is essential to life. When a man grows weary of breathing, surely he is near to dying. When a man grows weary of praying, surely he ought to pray anxiously, for him, uh, or we ought to pray anxiously for him, for he is in an evil case. Uh, and that is what the Apostle Paul is going to be saying here uh, as we come to uh, to Colossians chapter four. We made it to chapter four, uh, and, and coming off uh, of what we've been looking at the last several weeks, we'll, we'll notice that this is a, this is a new topic. In the last three weeks, we've been looking at Paul's words to to the Christian households. Okay, we, we saw in Colossians uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 18, that he addressed three relationships uh, in the Christian home. And all of those relationships were called to submit to the lordship of Christ. We looked at uh, wives and, and husbands. We looked at children and fathers. Uh, and then last week we looked at slaves and masters. Uh, and, and now Paul is going to be transitioning back into uh, to, to a new topic. Rather than how we, we relate to one another in a Christian household, we, he's going to be telling us how we are to relate with those outside of the church. How do we relate to, to those who are in the world and not believers and not followers of Jesus? And what he's going to, to do in these five verses. So this section begins in chapter 4, verse 2. Uh, and it uh, ends in, in verse 6. And there's going to be two big commands in that section. Uh, he's going to say, uh, be devoted to prayer and walk in wisdom. 
Uh, we're going to look at that first uh, command this morning, but we're going to read all five of those verses. Look with me, beginning in verse 2 of chapter 4 of Colossians. Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so, like I said, Paul is going to be laying out how do we how do we relate to those around us? And you notice the emphasis is going to be upon praying for them uh, and then walking in a manner uh, that is wise, making the best use of the time of how we how we relate to them. And uh, and the, the same uh, what we're going to see regarding prayer today, what, what Paul is going to make, he's going to make prayer requests to to the Colossians. They say, you need to be devoted to prayer, and then this is how you should be praying. Uh, and what his, his prayer request to the Colossians, what we're going to see, those, those prayer requests uh, are going to be still consistent for us today. What, what he's going to ask and encourage the Colossians to be praying for, it, it hasn't changed in the last 2,000 years. God is still the same. Man is still the same. Uh, and prayer hasn't changed that much. We still need to be praying for for these things that he asks the Colossians to lift up uh, on his behalf. Uh, and what we're going to see is the overarching idea uh, of being devoted to prayer or continuing steadfastly in then prayer. And then he's going to give us two ways in which we are to, to do that. What does that look like to be devoted to prayer? And he's going to say being watchful in it. Uh, then he's going to say praying for evangelism, praying for Paul and his ministry companions as they go forth and carry the gospel. So, uh, if you have your outline, follow along uh, with me. Uh, and we're going to look at that uh, that first portion there of the, the call to steadfast prayer. And that's at the beginning of, of verse 2, where Paul just simply says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Uh, and, and that word continue steadfastly as, uh, is the idea of being devoted to something, to, to persist in something, to, to busy yourself in an activity. Uh, and uh, that's the idea that Paul is communicating here. Not just that, that that prayer is something that you add on to your life when it's convenient or when you have time, but we, we are called to devote ourselves to interceding to God. Uh, and that is, that is to be the primary feature of uh, the Colossians' lives and in their relationship with the Lord. With, uh, they are to pray habitually and with, with perseverance. And uh, if you... If you think back to the book of Acts, uh, in the early church, what did they, what did they gather and devote themselves to on a daily basis? To being in the word, to the, to the apostles teaching and to, to prayer. Listen to these verses, Acts chapter 1 verse 14, that all these with one accord were devoting themselves, that same word, to prayer. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And then Acts chapter 6 verse 4, when there's uh, when there's conflict in the early church, yes, there was conflict uh, in the church. They had uh, racism. The, the 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 Hellenistic Jews weren't getting fed in the same way as the the other Jews, and so there was conflict. And the the apostles needed to address it, and they said, "Okay, we need to to subdivide and and have some people who just focus on physical uh, needs, meeting physical needs within the body, and then we need others, uh, the apostles, who would focus upon spiritual needs." 
And in speaking about what the apostles should devote themselves to, they say this, Acts 6-4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And over and over again in the New Testament, we see uh, the, the apostles, we see Jesus calling us to constantly be in prayer. Romans 12-12, uh, Paul writes, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. But what, what does this look like to, what does constancy or devotion to prayer look like? If you, if you have your Bibles, look over to, to Luke 18, uh, one of the, the parables of Jesus. Luke 18, and sometimes when Jesus gives a parable, uh, he doesn't tell us what, what it means. He just kind of throws it out there. We don't understand who he's talking to uh, or what the context is, and we have to figure that out. And other times he tells us. Uh, and Luke 18, verse 1, uh, is really helpful because it tells us who he's speaking to and why he's uh, speaking this parable. 18.1, he says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So what's the message of this? Is that we ought to pray always. That we and that in prayer we won't be discouraged, but that we will gain courage as we lift things up to the Lord. Verse two, he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards He said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Uh, This idea of of being devoted to prayer, we are constantly consumed with it. We won't stop lifting our requests up to the Lord until he answers them. Say, Lord, give me an answer, give me an answer. And what he's pointing to is, hey, look at this unrighteous judge who finally gives in saying, let me just give this lady what she wants so she'll stop bothering me. Uh, he's pointing to the, the, the lesser, saying, look at this unrighteous judge and, and holding God up as the greater. If this is true in the lesser, it's true of the greater. Uh, if this unrighteous judge uh, gives in to, to bring about justice and bring it into this lady's uh, appeals, then, then our Heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us, won't he do the same? Uh, will he not do that also? Now, you think also of what it looks like to, to struggle and to be devoted in prayer. Think back to the Old Testament, Genesis 32, uh, when, when Jacob wrestles all night with this unnamed man. Uh, wrestles all night, and he says, he, he realized he's wrestling with God. Uh, and that's what he's going to come away with later. But he's, he's going to say, I'm not going to let you go. He wrestles with this man all night, and, and the man can't get away from him. He says, I won't let you go until you bless me. Uh, but in that, in that struggle, what also happened to, to Jacob's hip? He, he got pushed out of socket, just says that, you know, the man touched it and it was out of joint. And, and Jacob walked with a limp the rest of his life. Uh, and that, that, that's the kind of struggle that we should have with the Lord in prayer, that, that we come away with a limp. One pastor said that, that true prayer often involves struggling and grappling with God, proving to him the deepest concern of our hearts. Prayer is to be a persistent Courageous struggle from which the believer may come away uh, 
limping. Now, that, that is the, the type of prayer that we are called to here. To be devoted in prayer it means to, to constantly be, be wrestling and grappling with the Lord uh, about the, the deepest and most sincere concerns of our heart and what we are presented with in life. Uh, and, and this doesn't, so there's a couple of different aspects to this. One, we are to be praying at all times and without ceasing. But, but that's also really easy to say that we're doing that, but it's difficult to measure that. Because how do you, how do you quantify your, your, the amount of time that you pray throughout the day if you're not sure about that? Like, yeah, if I fit it in in different places. Uh, and yes, there's a, there's a point in time where we are to, to always have a, a prayerful mindset no matter what we're doing. But we're also called to, to set a to- aside specific times to be in prayer to God. So yes, we are to pray without ceasing, but then we're also to say, Lord, I'm going to give you this time. I'm going to dedicate this time to my relationship with you to lift up my needs, my desires, to praise you, uh, to worship you, to echo back to God who he is and what he has done for us. That is what we are called to do. Now, we see this in Scripture as Jesus himself would go away uh, entire nights to pray before he decided and chose uh, the 12 disciples. Guess what he did? He spent the whole night in prayer, we also see uh, in the book of Acts, uh, Peter and John on their way up to the temple, Acts 3 1. It says that they were on their way up to the temple at the hour of prayer. Uh, they, there should be specific times in our life that we set aside and say, I'm going to dedicate this to God, and this is going to be my, my time when I pray. And that doesn't negate my need to pray without ceasing, and my praying without ceasing doesn't negate my, my time for a specific uh, time of going before the Lord. Now, and prayer it should be one of our highest objectives, and it's one of our greatest blessings as Christians. If we get to come before a holy God, we get to enter the throne room. Uh, we get to, to approach the throne of grace because of what Jesus Christ, our Savior, has done. Uh, and in approaching that, that throne of grace, we get to lift and carry all of our burdens to Jesus and lay them before him and say, Jesus, I need your help. I need your wisdom. This has been weighing upon my heart. Lord, I I give it to you and you show me what I need to do. How do I respond in this relationship at work? How do I respond uh, in this conflict with with a spouse? How do I, uh, what do you want me to to do in terms of pursuing work? Uh, All of these things we are able to bring before the Lord in prayer, asking him for wisdom, asking him for for guidance that whatever is burdening us, we are called to come and lay it before him at the cross, before his throne. One pastor, William Hendrickson, says that prayer is the most important expression of the new life. And as such, it is the means of obtaining for ourselves and for others the satisfaction of needs, both physical and spiritual. It is also divinely appointed weapon against the sinister attack of the devil and his angels. The vehicle for confession of sin and the instrument whereby the grateful soul pours out its spontaneous adoration before the throne of God on high. And prayer is also one of the, the greatest barometers of our faith. And I know that that hurts. That, that pierces my own soul. Uh, if you really want to know and evaluate yourself spiritual, just say, hey, how am I doing in my prayer life? How am I doing in, in coming before the Lord and speaking with him, pouring out my heart to him? This week, one of the, one of the, the men in my, in my growth group uh, texted me because I had been asking for accountability on, hey, ask me how my prayer life is doing. 
Uh, and it had been a busy week. And then, you know, this would be the week when he would text me and say, hey, how's, how's your prayer going? And I'm like, ah, you know, it, it hasn't been good. Uh, and, and I was greatly, greatly humbled by that. But you know what? That's, that's what we all need. We all need others speaking into our lives, asking, hey, how are you doing at this? Uh, and most importantly, in when it comes to, to prayer. Uh, and, and we need to devote ourselves to prayer as individuals and then as a church, as a, as a corporate body. Uh, we should be praying with and for one another on a regular basis. We can pray uh, for one another every single day of the week. Uh, as, as we go before the Lord in our, our personal prayer times. And then uh, when we gather together on Sunday mornings, we, we want to incorporate prayer into our, uh, our worship time. That's why we pray frequently throughout the, uh, the service, whether it be in the middle of songs, after we read the word, after uh, a sermon at the end of the service. Uh, we, we pray together and then also in our, in our midweek growth groups because that's when we can really uh, come together and pray with one another for specific needs. When, when we gather together in this way, we're, we're echoing back up to God who he is and what he's done, but we're not necessarily interceding for one another in the same way of, uh, of specific personal needs, but that's what we can do when we gather together in smaller groups, when we can really see, hey, what are your struggles? How can I be lifting you up in prayer this week and just in, in general? Uh, and that's what we need. Uh, we need to be praying for one another. Uh, and we need to be devoted to prayer. Uh, and, and even though this is, you know, this, this is the big idea here, it's just a few, a few simple words, but it's so humbling. And, you know, if we wanted, we can, we could just talk about, hey, what does it really look like to be devoted to prayer? And I would encourage you, uh, is just mark prayers in the Bible. Uh, when you're going through your, uh, your reading plan or whatever it may be, and, and learn from the authors of Scripture what it looks like to pray. Read Psalms and pray back the Psalms. Echo back to God what he has said. And think about that Psalm 96 that we read this morning. What does it look like to ascribe to God the glory that he deserves? What does it look like to echo back to him? And that's, that's what God wants, uh, for, and to echo truth back to him. Uh, and we know that as we pray scripture, we're going to be speaking accurately about who God is and what he has done. Uh, and we just need to to be learning constantly of what it looks like to pray. Look at look at the prayer life of Jesus. Go go read through the, uh, especially in in Luke's gospel. You see how frequently Jesus got away by himself to pray. You see that. Uh, read through the book of Acts and just make notes of man. Look at what they were doing. How frequently were they praying? Go read uh, John seventeen seventeen. Now, I know the, the, the Lord's Prayer is often referred to as, as Matthew 6 when, when Jesus is, is speaking to his disciples and teaching them how to pray. But that's really the disciples' prayer. That's not how Jesus prays. That's how, he, how we should pray. If Jesus had to confess sin and ask for forgiveness of sin, we have more bigger issues. Uh, but look at John 17. That, that's truly the Lord's Prayer. That's, that's God the Son speaking to God the Father, pouring out his heart and praying for us. Uh, if, if you look at that, Jesus prays not only for his disciples at that time, but then those who would come to know him through those disciples. So I would, I would encourage you to, to do that. Become familiar with scripture and prayers in scripture. Uh, and uh, there's much more to say just on being devoted to prayer, but uh, we must continue on. If, if you're back there with me in, in Colossians, that, what we looked at there, that's the, that's the main idea of these verses. To devote ourselves to prayer. If you come away with one thing this morning, come away with that, that I need to be devoted in prayer to the Lord. But then 
Paul's going to lay out, hey, what does that look like? And in what way are we to devote ourselves to prayer? And then he's going to have in the, in the Greek, there's two participles. There's one big command and then two participles showing, hey, this is how you're to do that. Uh, and the first participle is uh, the idea of being watchful and being thankful. Uh, that is how we are to be devoted to, to prayer. And that idea of being, being watchful is being alert or being constantly alert. And that's, that's where we get our English name Gregory. You know anybody named Gregory? That comes from the Greek word of, of being watchful, being alert. Uh, and, uh, th- this word is often used to just describe of, being uh, alert to our circumstances. It's used in Acts chapter 20, verse 31. Paul says, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. He's going to alert Christians in general in some of the epistles. To 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. One of my favorite verses. First uh, Peter 5, 8 is going to say something similar. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So this idea can be used of of just being alert and aware of your surroundings. Be aware of what's what's happening. Be alert to spiritual danger. Satan is definitely a spiritual danger. That's why we need to be alert and watchful for him. Uh, And and we are to be watchful in prayer. But then you're like, but but what does that mean? Is Jesus saying, well, make sure you pray with your eyes open, not just with your eyes closed. Don't fall asleep in prayer uh, or just to, to be alert while I'm praying. Uh, what is he talking about? Well, uh, I think Paul is also uh, in, in a in the kind of a in a, a illusory way of alluding to this. But I think Paul is instructing the Colossians to to be alert and watching for Christ's return uh, to to keep an eye uh to what, when Jesus is going to come back, because this word uh, of being alert is often used to speak of uh, Jesus' return. Matthew 24, verses 42 and 43, Jesus, in the Olivet Discourse, says, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. Again, that word, uh, Gregoreo, uh, for be alert, and, and would not have left his house, uh, let his house be broken into. It's used also in Matthew 25, 13. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Uh, and then in 1 Thessalonians 5, so for, at the end of 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul is speaking of the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 5, he's going to speak about the day of the Lord, which is kicked off by the rapture. But, but he says this in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, now concerning the times... And the seasons, brothers, you have no need uh, to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day, uh, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Uh, and, and when I say that we are, we are called and what I think is being alluded to here is that we are to watch for Christ, it doesn't mean that we just go stand outside and stare at the sky. Like, hey, did you see anything yet? No, I haven't seen anything. Uh, the idea is that we watch our lives. We watch the way that we are living because Christ could return at any moment. 
That is the, the point here, not just staring up uh, and, and looking at the sky, but the idea of we are to be ready for Christ's return at any moment. So we watch our lives. As we read through Matthew's gospel last, uh, last month in January, we see, uh, we, we read through the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. We read through the, the, the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25, where Jesus is saying and outlining, hey, there, there's going to be some who are ready and some who are not ready. Uh, and those who aren't ready are going to be left out. Uh, and just the idea of we are called to be watchful uh, and alert for the return of Christ. He says that we are to be watchful in it, meaning prayer. And then that last little statement of, of with thanksgiving. Uh, that, that we are to be praying with an attitude of, of gratitude, giving giving thanks to God, again, for who he is and what he has done. And thanksgiving is a common theme in Colossians. It's mentioned uh, chapter 1, verse 12, chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 3, verses 15 and 17, and then again here. And the idea is, is thanksgiving isn't just good manners. It's not just something that you teach your kid of, yes, say thank you, and then say you're welcome, or all of this. It's not just good manners. It's it's a way of life for the Christian. It is essential to our relationship with the Lord. Uh, and, and thankfulness should be inseparable from prayer. Now, you shouldn't be able to, to separate and distinguish the two. Uh, they are both uh, essential for the Christian life. Uh, and one leads to the other. As, as we've been reading this, this month in, in the book of Deuteronomy, notice how many times... Moses points back to what God has already done for the nation of Israel. So look at what God has done for you. Look at how he saved you. Look at how he's bringing you to this amazing land. We'll call it the promised land. The God has promised to us it's going to be fantastic. Look at all that God has done and then, look, obey him. Everything that God calls us to do is in response to what he's already done. Listen to this in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 20. It says, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Which is a good question. I can see a son asking that. Dad, what's up with all this? Why do we have to go? Why do we have to do this? And this is how the father is to answer. Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for good, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us. See, if we, if we were to daily rehearse the faithful provision of the Lord, or if we were to daily think about, look at all that God has done on my behalf, what would be the natural result of that? Thankfulness. We, we wouldn't be able to do that and not just begin to spontaneously praise and thank God for all that he has given to us. Now, and that is what we are called to do here, that we are to be watchful in prayer, to be devoted to prayer with an attitude of watchfulness and with an attitude of thanksgiving. And if you, if you think about it, Paul is kind of saying, hey, you need to be looking backwards into the past at what God has already done and thank him 
for that. And then at the same time, so you have one eye on the past, look at how faithful God has been, and then one eye on the present and the future. I need to be watchful, looking at my own life, ready for Christ to return at any moment. Uh, that, that is what, what Paul is saying here, that being alert, being thankful, uh, means that we are aware of the past, present, and future in our relationship with the Lord, and we bring that into our prayer life and praise God for all of those things. And, and one of those might be more natural to us than the other. It might be easy for us to, uh, to thank God for what he's done in the past, uh, and then we forget about what he's doing in the present or what he's calling us to do in the present. We, we thank God for all of these things in the past, but not, Lord, what are, we, what are you calling me to do now? Or oftentimes we can think of, Lord, what are you calling me to do now? And we forget about uh, all of his faithful provision in the past. And that leads us to become anxious, uh, to become uh, worrisome. And, and we, we forget about God's track record of faithfulness. And we say, well, what if he doesn't do it this time? What if he you know, doesn't do it in the way that I want to? Uh, but we need to, to understand the past, present, and future in our relationship with the Lord and bring that into our prayer life. Uh, and, and so as Paul moves from the speaking in, in prayer in general, say, hey, uh, be devoted to prayer. Be watchful in it and be thankful in it. Now he's going to transition to some specific prayer requests uh, in this, uh, this second uh, explanation of, of why uh, at, the, at the end of our passage this morning of uh, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Uh, we are to be devoted to prayer by praying for and seizing gospel opportunities. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. Paul says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So Paul, Paul's going to say here, you know, it begins with saying at the same time, a fancy way of saying, hey, uh, at the same time as you're being watchful in prayer, at the same time as you're, you're lifting prayer up to God uh, with thanksgiving, I'm going to ask you to pray for me. Uh, and to pray for me and my ministry companions, because he doesn't say just pray for me. He, prays, he says pray for us. So it's included probably at least Timothy. And then uh, in the next couple of weeks, as we look at the end of chapter four, we'll see other people who were with Paul and his other ministry companions. And I think he's including all of them. Hey, be praying for us. Uh, and again, of the idea of, of habitual prayer lifting us up. Uh, and then Paul is going to kind of make two two prayer requests. And they're easy to distinguish because in our English Bible, uh, they'll be marked off with the word that. Uh, so be praying that. Uh, and the first one is that, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. That's his first prayer request, is that, that God would would open a door for the word. Uh, and that's where we get this concept of doors of opportunity. How often do we use that? You know, if God would open a door, that's, that's biblical language. Of that. That's what he's speaking about here. And, uh, and notice he's, he's asking the Colossians to, to pray for God to give him opportunities to share the gospel. He's saying, hey, I need your prayer on this. And, and the reason that he wants their prayer for open doors so that he can do what? It says to declare the, the mystery of Christ. He wants to to make known who Jesus is and the truths about Jesus. If you turn back in Colossians to chapter one, verse uh, verse twenty five, you begin to see uh, what Paul 
uh, Paul's desire is and what he understands his calling to be as a minister of the gospel. He says, of which, speaking of the church, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Then he's going to explain what that mystery is. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, what Paul is saying is he can't wait to declare the gospel. He can't wait to share with others who Jesus is and and the salvation that is found in him. And what's amazing is Colossians 1.27 is that the, the mystery is what? Is Christ in us. That, that when we believe, when we place our faith in Jesus, he comes to dwell in us. We become united with him, him in us, we in him. Uh, and th- this is the mystery of the gospel, the amazing union with Christ and, and all of its benefits that we looked at in chapter 3 of Colossians. All of that, that's what Paul can't wait to declare. And he's saying, hey, I need you to pray that I would continue be able to, to have opportunities to declare that to other people. That's what Paul is asking them to do. Uh, and then he makes uh, this this one little parenthetical statement at, at the end of verse 3. He says, on account of which I am in prison. And this is the, the first time that Paul mentions his imprisonment in this letter. Uh, he, he just kind of tacks it on here. But we, we must remember that Paul is writing, you know, at the end... Uh, Acts 28 shows that Paul is in in Rome under house arrest uh, for for two years, and he's able to have some visitors coming through, and that's when he's going to write uh, Ephesians, Colossians, and uh, Philippians, and Philemon. Uh, he, he's going to write these letters uh, and and send them off, uh, and he's writing them as he's awaiting his chance to come and speak before Caesar, uh, and and Paul is in this position. Because he was sharing the gospel, because of his gospel ministry and the false accusations of the Jews. So, so get this with me. If you're in prison for doing something, wouldn't you be asking people to help, to be praying for you? Help me to stop doing this, because this is what got me in trouble, right? That's what kind of what a, a normal, rational person would do, right? But Paul is saying, hey, this is what got me into prison. Pray that I would keep doing it. Pray that the Lord would continue to give me opportunities to share the gospel and, and pass the gospel along to others. Pray for open doors. And notice that Paul's request is not pray that I have an open door so I can walk out of my cell and continue to minister. He's not saying pray that I would be set free. He's saying pray for open doors for what? For the word. Pray for open doors for the word. Paul's request uh, is saying, even if I'm still in chains, may the gospel go forth. May the gospel be free, even though I'm still imprisoned. This is what Paul echoes uh, in Acts 20, 24. He says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God saying, I don't care if I remain in prison as long as the gospel gets to go free, as long as the gospel continues to advance. Uh, and Paul is, again, putting his money where his mouth is, so to speak, that what he uh, said in Acts, he's now living out uh, in his prayer requests of saying uh, that I consider my count, uh, my life of no value. It's no, my life is no longer precious to me. I just care about the gospel going forth, people coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and God being glorified. 
That's what he cares about most. There was a, an English preacher named Samuel Pearson who, who once visited a dying Christian man. And, and Pearson asked him, uh, you know, come alongside, what, what should he pray for? And, and expecting, you know, some personal uh, request to be made, uh, to his surprise and delight, the, the man answered, pray that the kingdom of Christ may be extended. And Pearson commented that, uh, that there is an exalted state of man's heart that's possible when the Christian forgets himself in the thought of his master's kingdom. Uh, of that, we want to get to that point where we no longer care about our circumstances, but what we are most concerned with is, is the glory of our master, uh, the glory of our Lord and his message going forth and seeing other people who are uh, estranged from their creator, who are in rebellion against him, we want to see them reconciled. That's what we should care most about. Uh, and that, that is what Paul, what we are seeing in the Apostle Paul here. That his attitude is not for himself, but for the gospel to go forth. What a what a passion for the gospel, Amen. Uh, and again, that should be our our prayer request of of Lord, advance the gospel. Use me or don't use me, but uh, give uh, open doors of opportunity so that your word may be spoken and be taken forward. That is Paul's first prayer request. And then verse 4, we'll see his, his second prayer request. He says, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Uh, and uh, the idea that, that Paul is, is asking for, he says, hey, his, his prayer request. And think about this. This is the Apostle Paul. He's saying, guys, pray that when I get those opportunities, when the Lord opens doors, pray that when I see those doors, that I, I take that opportunity and that I communicate clearly the message of the gospel. That's what he is asking for here, that I would make it clear that to cause something to become visible or to reveal or expose something publicly. He says, hey, when, when I get this opportunity, I want to make the most of it uh, and take advantage of it. And uh, this word for uh, for clarity is actually the idea of something appearing. And it's used, uh, again, oftentimes to speak of the second coming of Christ. If you, if you turn your page or look at Colossians Chapter 3, verse 4. It says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, that's the same word that Paul uses, uh, then you also will appear with him in glory. So what Paul is saying is, uh, he's asking that he would make the gospel appear, and that it would appear publicly, and that he would do that with with clarity. And then there's, there's that next statement of, that I may make it clear, and then he says, which is how I ought to speak. Uh, and... The, the idea of that word ought in the English, in, in the Greek, it, it's the idea of necessity. It's something that must take place, and usually because God ordained it to be so. Uh, and Paul is saying, pray that I would speak the gospel as it is necessary to be spoken. Pray that I would proclaim the gospel as it deserves to be declared. Uh, and See, Paul understood that as a minister of the gospel, he, he was compelled to not proclaim his own wisdom, not proclaim some other message. He's a, he's a messenger. He's an ambassador for Christ, and he has to proclaim the message that has been given to him. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16, Paul says, For if I preach the gospel, now that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. He says, I preach the gospel because I have to preach the gospel. It's something that has been laid upon me. And then he says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 
He's saying, pray that, that when I get the opportunity to proclaim the gospel, that I would declare it uh, as it ought to be declared. With compassionate boldness, with, with loving concern, with, with genuine sincerity, and with the utmost urgency. That is how the gospel deserves to be declared, is it not? Lovingly, compassionately. Uh, and, and what we see here in, in this verse is, is pretty amazing and pretty humbling. Number one, that, that Paul is acknowledging that he is insufficient to this task, right? If he's asking for prayer, say, hey, Lord, give me opportunities and then help me to, to use those opportunities to, to speak the gospel clearly. If Paul needs prayer for that, do we need prayer for that? Absolutely. Paul, you, some of you are like, yes, I need that all the time. And how many of you ever ever whispered a, a prayer similar to this just before you share the gospel with someone? Someone asks you a question, and you're like, all right, here it goes. Lord, get, Lord give me the words because I'm going to go for it. Uh, if Paul is asking for prayer, that it means that, number one, he needs it, and that, number number two, that prayer makes an impact on those things, does it not? That that prayer makes an impact on doors being opened, and that prayer makes an impact regarding how we communicate the gospel. And even though salvation is completely from God, he uses human messengers. What an honor. He, he folds us into his plan and into his purposes, even though he's the one doing the saving, he uses us in some way to carry the gospel forth. There's an amazing uh, account of uh, in the 19th century among the, the stations of the China Inland Mission that, that one mission in particular, uh, one outpost, had greater results in the, in the number and the spiritual character of the converts than, than all of the other uh, missionaries. And the dedication of those missionaries uh, elsewhere wasn't any less than what that missionary was doing. Uh, but... That missions, the missionary was seeing just uh, an incredible amount of fruit, more significant than the others. And uh, the founder of the, that missions organization, Hudson Taylor, he was there in China. Uh, he discovered why that, that missions outpost was doing so well, actually, when he went back to England. Uh, and he, he's giving an address one time in, in, in England, and after... Uh, giving the address, a man comes up and he begins to converse with that man. And in the course of that conversation, he's realizing, wow, this guy sure knows a whole lot about this particular mission station in China. He's like, so how do you know about this? I, I must know. Uh, and the, what the man says is, well, that missionary and I were friends in college. And he and I have been exchanging letters back and forth, and I have been praying for him and for individuals that he's been reaching out to by name. I've been doing that for years. And Hudson Taylor suddenly said, hey, I, I realize now why, why that missionary and that missions outpost is doing so well. is because people are praying for his work there, not just in general, but specifically for people by name. The mystery had been solved. The success of missions is and evangelism is prayer. God, again, using us to, to fold us into his purpose. And what we see here is that, again, what Paul is praying for, we ought also to pray for. But if he's saying to the Colossians, devote yourselves to prayer and prayerful evangelism, that's what we ought to devote ourselves to as well. And we are not to assume that uh, that evangelistic opportunities will just present themselves out of nowhere. That, that would be the case, but also what we see here is that we are to pray them open. Uh, we are to begin to to pray for those opportunities. And what we've been another one of the things that we've been talking about in our in our growth groups is it's amazing that when you actually begin to pray for opportunities, what happens? 
Yeah, you get them. And that's like, that's why I haven't been praying. I don't want to. If, somebody, if I pray about it, the Lord may give me an opportunity to share. Then I, have to, then I have to speak. Then I have to share the gospel. And if I'm going to do that, what else do we have to know? The gospel, which is why in our groups we work on memorizing it. That's why we're working on memorizing a gospel outline of who God is, who man is, who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and then calling people to respond to that. Now, that's why we memorize that, so that when we pray for those opportunities, we are ready for those opportunities. And then, uh, as the Lord uh, just enables us to speak the gospel clearly, uh, we can then begin to to disciple those people and bring them along in the faith. Uh, and and what the Apostle Paul lays out here is, is not just a just the concept of you know there's a, there's a place for for cold evangelism of, yes, be, be praying for opportunities to, you know, when you're randomly at Starbucks that somebody would uh, come up and speak to you. Like, but that may happen. But when was the last time you're drinking coffee at Starbucks and you're there with your Bible because you, you want to appear spiritual? You may take a, a picture and post it on Facebook or something. Um, but when was the last time someone just came up to you who was an unbeliever and said, hey, tell me about Jesus. I want to know. I see you have your Bible open. Has that ever happened to anybody? No, and, and that could happen. Uh, but, but I think most... Most importantly, we need to be praying for those people in our lives who don't know Jesus and we have a relationship with them. We need to be praying for our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members. Uh, we need to be praying for them and then looking for opportunities to share the gospel. And as we're praying for them, suddenly we see them everywhere. It's amazing how that happens. And then if we know the gospel, then we can also pray for boldness to share the gospel. I love, I think it's in Acts 4 or 5, where the apostles pray for boldness. And then later on in the paragraph, they go out and speak with boldness. You're like, I wonder if there's a connection there. Uh, that's what we, we need to be praying for as well. And that's why one of the things that we do here at Ambassador is we, we encourage everyone to be intentional uh, about their spiritual growth. That's why we have reading plans. That's why we have accountability. But also, if we're not intentional about evangelism, what's going to happen? If we just speak in general terms, well, maybe the Lord may use me some way, somehow, it, it, it will never take place. We need to be intentional about evangelism. And one of the ways that we want to be intentional about evangelism is what we call prayer, care, share. And you can see some, some common ground on, on that, I guess, process. Nothing inspired about that process, but we see that it's rooted in Scripture here, that we want to be, number one, praying for people, whether it would be one person, whether it would be five people, somebody in our life who doesn't know Jesus. We want to begin to pray for them, that God would would work in their hearts and draw him, uh, that person, to themselves. That God would, would begin to work uh, and then pray for opportunities to share. Okay, But also, uh, as we are praying for opportunities to share, will we ever get opportunities to share the gospel with them if we are never around them? No, right? Uh, so in that in-between stage of, Lord, I'm praying for opportunities and for you to work, and now, Lord, help me to begin to, to care for this person. Help me to begin to uh, to emulate Christ, to, to go to people, to demonstrate love, care, and concern for them, meet them right where they are, and then share the gospel with them as I develop a relationship with them. Now, that is what we what we want to do, and that's how we want to fulfill the Great Commission. That's what, and we're all called to do that. Now, we are all called to be missionaries and evangelists, uh, and What's amazing also, sometimes you may be taking inventory of your life. You're like, I don't know that many unbelievers. 
you know, some of you homeschool families or others, like, how do I, how do I meet people? And that was, there was a point in time when I was, um, you know, working uh, at the church down in LA. It's like, I, so I'm a, a pastor at the church. I'm vice principal at the Christian elementary school. Um, I live on campus. It's like everybody I, I see is, is a Christian. So I had to go, uh, and look for opportunities to share the gospel with unbelievers. And some of you may need to do that. Some of you may need to, to change some of your habits or, or your, what you do throughout the week so that you can gain access to those around you. We, we are called to, to go and make disciples. Not just see if they come to you, but go. Uh, that's what we will see here. And that's why being intentional with praying, 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 caring, and sharing the gospel, uh, then we will begin to see, uh, some fruit. Uh, and, and as we have, as we've seen this morning, if, if we were to take that seriously, if we were all to devote ourselves to prayer, if we were all to, to be lifting up uh, people that we know, that we have a relationship with, that the Lord would work in their lives and save them. And if we look for opportunities to, to love and care for them and, and seize opportunities when we can have a spiritual conversation, when we can go and share the gospel with them, what would happen if we were to devote ourselves to that? Number one, our lives would be transformed just as we memorize and meditate on the gospel for ourselves, right? That's going to be life transforming in and of itself just for us. Secondly, we're going to grow because you know what happens when you begin to speak with others about Christ and the gospel? They ask questions (laughs) and then you come back and you're like, okay, pastor, I need answers to these questions because this person that I'm witnessing to, they ask these questions and I don't have answers. They say, great, let's look at that. Bible, there's always answers for every question that anybody could have in Scripture. So you will begin to grow as you uh, grow in your faith and you have to share and talk with others. Uh, and it's always good to have conversations about Christ uh, with people who may disagree with us. Right? And that's a lost art in our society. But being able to graciously disagree with somebody uh, and speak with them about Christ and the gospel is something that we need to learn how to do uh, with love and compassion. It'll transform us, and then it will transform us as a church because we will begin to see people come to Christ. We'll begin to see lives transformed. Uh, And there are many Christians who never share their faith, and and they're missing out on one of the most amazing blessings of, number one, stepping out in faith to share the gospel. And understand that faithful evangelism isn't seeing uh, somebody come to faith. It's just throwing out the message. Well, That's what we are called to do. Are we in charge of the results? No, we, we can't open up any, anyone's heart and make them believe. But we are responsible to, to share the gospel, to throw it out there, uh, call them to respond, and then leave the results up to God. And, and if we as, as a church did that, we would see many people come to Christ. We would see our own lives transformed, and we would see the entire Treasure Valley impacted by that. Right? I, I pray that we would be a church that's known uh, for their, our prayer and for our evangelism. Right? I pray that we would be known as that, as individuals. Uh, I'm, I'm reading a biography of a, a pastor right now, a, a Welsh pastor who's uh, lived in the early part of the, the 20th century, a man named Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the most influential pastors in all of England. Uh, and he's a pastor who's had significant influence upon many of the, the most influential pastors here in America at this time. And... Uh, after he had passed away in 1981, his wife, uh, Beth Ann, in talking about her husband, she said this. She says, no one, no one will ever understand my husband 
until they realize that he is, first of all, a man of prayer and then an evangelist. And if you look at it, that's, that's what Paul is encouraging the Colossians to be here, to be men and women of prayer, men and women who are devoted to prayer, and men and women who are evangelists, who are committed to praying for opportunities and then seizing those opportunities to share the gospel with the world around them. And may we aspire to have that same character, to have that same uh, evaluation made of our own life, right? What, what a blessing that would be. But then that means we have to make some changes. We have to step out in faith. We have to grow. But at the end of our lives, that would be my hope and my prayer for all of us, that that people would say that was an individual who was a man or a woman of prayer and who was dedicated to serving and pursuing the lost as an evangelist. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you thanking you, worshiping you, because you are our creator and you are deserving of our honor, our praise, our thanksgiving, just for giving us life and breath and everything. But Lord, you are also worthy of our praise and thanks because you are Savior. You are the one who... uh, has saved us even when we were in rebellion against you. You are the one who sent your son Jesus to die on our behalf. And Lord, that that is so amazing that your your love for us was so great that while we were in sin and rebellion against you, your son died for us. What an amazing message. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful ambassadors, faithful messengers, faithful carriers of the gospel. Lord, that we would devote ourselves to prayer, to coming before you, pouring out our hearts, that we would be men and women who love to come before you, our Father, and pour out our hearts. May we grow in our prayers to you, And Lord, as we pray, may we be watchful, looking for, anticipating the return of our King, your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we long to see him. We long to be with him. But as we wait for his return, Lord, we also long to be faithful servants. So I pray that you you would open doors for the word, that you would give us opportunities to declare the mystery of Christ. And that when you open those doors, when you present us with those opportunities, that we would seize them with boldness, with grace, with love. And that you would give us the words, that you would help us to communicate the gospel clearly. Lord, I pray that you would just burden our hearts for the lost around us. Those whom we see each and every day and who are running away from you. Lord, may you press uh, their salvation upon our hearts. May we begin to lift them up to you in prayer. And then, Lord, may you act. May we be instruments in your hands. Use us as you may 
to reach Meridian, to reach the Treasure Valley. And Lord, we long to be faithful servants, to be characterized as men and women of prayer and as evangelists. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As uh, as we get ready to to sing this uh, final song, what, what I want to encourage you guys to as we as we talked a lot about prayer today, I want to give you guys uh, the opportunity, just in the, the, the stillness of your own hearts, we'll, we'll take about 30 seconds for you uh, to respond as, as, as Tim, will be, Tim will be playing, getting ready for the song, and, and he'll, he'll jump into it. But uh, this is your opportunity to, to pray in your hearts to the Lord, uh, asking him to, to grow you in response to what you heard, and then we'll sing uh, this final song. Let me do that now.